The time is now. What is the secret to success? Movement. People look at you strange saying you change, like you work that hard to stay the same. Like you're doing all this for a reason. Hard work. Yeah. Works. This podcast is brought to you by Calcica Fit App. Uh, that's right, we got an app also. The Fit App gives you unlimited access to over 100 high-quality fitness classes. And you can choose from a mix of spin, strength, TRX, HIT, yoga, Pilates, meditation, mobility workouts. We got some new content coming out. I just did a DJ spin class that's going to be coming out pretty soon. So check all those things out. Download the Calcica Fit App. Go to Apple Store, go to the Google Store, Android Store, and you can get it all done there. It's very simple. It's our Netflix version of fitness. And point and click and have fun. And by the way, it's less than 50 cents a day. Yeah. So welcome to another episode of Trainers Talk. This is our second episode. Um, I look forward to having you listen to a conversation I had with my mentor, Coach Greg Warner, um, he really laid down a lot of foundations there for me. But uh, throughout our trainers talks, I'm going to do different things, bring in different segments like tip of the workout tip of the week. Um, and this week's workout tip is write it down. Write your workout down before you do it. The reason you do that is. If, unless you have the Calcica Fit app, you can just tap and the instructor will do it with you as you, as you go through the, uh, the workout. But if you're doing something on your own, write it out or have the plan written out before you start. And the reason is when you get in the middle of the workout, if you're saying, hey, I'm going to do chest today or I'm going to do legs and back, you'll get in the middle of the workout and you'll be like, what exercise am I going to do? How many reps? You want to take the guesswork out of it. You want to be a really focused on your workout. You do enough thinking. Your workout, you want to be able to look, execute, have fun with it, sweat it out. And and if you don't have it written out, I've, I've made this excuse of, oh, I think I've done enough. Though, when I write it down, I got to tell myself, ah, you got to do more. Because if I write it out, I'm thinking more logically and it really helps progress how far a client moves and, and progresses if they write it out beforehand. So write it out. Trust me, it will, your mirror will thank you. All right. And exercise of the week. Exercise of the week for me, one of my favorites, a level two exercise is that Nordic curl. I also call it hamsters. My clients call it, they, uh, it's not one of their favorites, but it is dramatic of how much it improves your hamstring, your hamstring strength, along with your ability to um, reduce the chance of a hamstring strain. So for those runners, uh, athletes, uh, or people who hike a, a decent amount, you know, it's, it's a great exercise. It is a level two exercise, so it's not one that I would do if you if you don't have uh, a lot of hamstring strength. There's a lot of other exercises you can start with, 
but check it out look online obviously this is audio so look up Nordic curl uh, Tyree kill from the Kansas City Chiefs did a great Nordic curl not too long ago uh, in the summer if you look at his Instagram uh, you can check that out but if you check out Nordic curl you will see it looks easier than what it is but it is a tough exercise um, and so it's thank me later uh, if you're a sprinter or an athlete it's a great one um, to kind of go to all right so now we're gonna get into our conversation that I had with coach Warner my mentor we talked about a lot of things one of the things I loved he talked about is the language of coaching and it there's so many fond memories because I haven't spoke to him like this in years and it was great to catch up uh, see where he is he's at Virginia Tech right now um, as a strength conditioning coach there and we talk about our days when I was back at JMU when I was learning from him and working as assistant strength, assistant strength and conditioning coach um, so sit back relax enjoy this conversation that I have with coach Greg Warner yeah all right, I'm ready to go whenever you are. Oh, you put your hat on. You're ready to go. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I, I got to I got to get the, uh, the 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 game face on, I guess. Um, okay, hello, boys and girls. Uh, I want to welcome you to another episode of Trainers Talks. I'm joined by a very special guest. This this guest is uh, somebody who's been a mentor to me very early in my career. And probably about 80% of the things that I still use today came from the class and some of the instruction he gave me back at JMU, back when I went there 2001 to 2005. So Coach Warner, going to give a little intro here. Coach Warner is currently the Senior Director for Women's Basketball at Virginia Tech in Strength and Conditioning. Um, before that, he was at Auburn, and then before that, where I got to know him was at JMU for 20 years, where he also got his master's in kinesiology, and also uh, he got his bachelor's at Austin Peay State University. You know, he's worked with NFL, Major League Baseball, MLS, pro basketball, Olympic athletes, um, the gambit, and, you know, he's published over 30 articles in various journals and magazines and websites. And the list goes on and on. We, we almost would, uh, we, we would take up the whole hour if we uh, went through all the accomplishments. So I want to give a warm welcome to Coach Warner. How you doing, Coach? Good. Thank you, Don. It's been, uh, it's been fun following your journey. I'm so happy for Facebook and, uh, you know, the various social media devices where I can follow you and see how your life has been progressing. It's been very impressive and fun to watch. Thank you. I mean, it's, it's, it's been the same to kind of watch you and, and, and um, see your, your, I remember, I think it's like four or five years ago, seeing Hans and your, your son, uh, you know, doing the powerlifting. Was he, he was doing powerlifting. Is that correct? Yeah. 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 And uh, he, I broke, mean, uh, he broke the world record in a hundred percent raw. It's called a hundred percent raw powerlifting. They wear no gear. Uh, no elbow sleeves, no bench press shirts. It's legitimate lifting. So he broke the world record for the uh, teenage, 18 to 19-year-olds. 
for the 220 pound class. Jeez. And, uh, and he's still, uh, still uh, getting after it today. He's 25 yeah. now, but, um, yeah, he still loves to train hard and, uh, he's doing personal training now. He's, you know, he's seeing guys like you and he's, he's wanting to get more involved with that. Yeah. I thought he was going to follow my footsteps to be a strength and conditioning coach and maybe he still might. Uh, but, yeah. um, he got a degree at Virginia tech and, uh, Finished with honors and Phi Beta Kappa and everything, dual degree, dual dual major. Uh, but uh, it was heading him down a path towards FBI and Secret Service work. And he just came home one day. He says, "Dad, I just don't want to get in that. You know, I don't want to have to carry a gun. I don't want to have to do that kind of stuff." So he's been he's been interning with me for a couple of years now and helping me with the team and doing a great job. So. I'm, I'm happy to see him continue on and maybe go into personal training and maybe strength and conditioning. Oh, that's, that's, that's cool. I'd have I, to send him out there to spend some time with you to learn some things. Hey, he's, he, he, I think he, if he comes out here, he might not want to go back. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty nice, the weather. And, uh, um, you know, I, I think this year is probably the, you know, 2020 is probably not the best year, but you know, uh, other, any other year is a great time to be out here. Um, you know, you, I, 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 when I was looking through the website of Virginia Tech, the strength and conditioning website, uh, I was noticing that you still have a similar program where you have interns, you have like a place for interns to sign up. And, and um, when did, you know, mentoring and doing that program, how did that evolve? Where did that come from? Um, you know, at JMU, <clears throat> started there in 92. But I'll even go further back than that. I mean, I started in the profession um, kind of like you're doing. I was training, uh, doing personal training before people called it that. I was just, you know, in the gym training and people liked what I was doing. So I was teaching them the stuff I was doing back when I was bodybuilding and powerlifting. And, and uh, I was just voracious in my study of the body and nutrition and things of that nature to be a good uh, uh, physique athlete and be a good power lifter. You have to understand the whole body. You can't just know about sets and reps. You got to know about the nutrition and the recovery and all that. And this was back in the eighties, back in like 83, 84, 85. And uh, I had competed as a teenager and, and done well. And then I had competed as a novice and done well. And then I had to go up to the open class in bodybuilding. And I was shocked because I'm like 19, 20 years old. And I'm looking at these guys I'm having to compete against now that are like 40 and they've been doing it for 20 years. And, and uh, yeah, I remember one bodybuilding contest, this big guy, and he was great. He ended up winning the show. He was probably in his mid forties and he came up to me and he says, Hey man, he says, uh, you mind putting the oil on my back, helping me out? <laughs> and, and I'm putting the oil on the back, and I'm like, oh, man, I got to compete with that. And his back was just, you know, massive. And I thought, this is going to take me years to get a back like that, you know. And so I evaluated, you know, my genetics and my path, and I thought, you know what? I really like helping other people more than I really have the ambition to go as far as this is. You know, and I, and I enjoyed bodybuilding and that early on, but I started training other people. And long story short, uh, I trained uh, Miss Tennessee, Miss Georgia, Miss Florida. I love training women. I trained two Mr. Tennessee's guys that ended up winning the Mr. Tennessee twice. Uh, 
Um, and that was a whole lot of fun. But as I went through those steps and then I got into college and I thought I really want to get more involved into the science and learn more about it. And so I yep. went to Austin P and got in there, their human performance program. And uh, first day I walked in the weight room, uh, their strength and conditioning coach was, was relatively new. It was back before a lot of schools, especially that size, even had strength and conditioning coaches. And uh, his name's Dan Austin, and he was a world champion powerlifter. And uh, and I told Dan, I said, you know, I, I need a job. You know, I'm barely making it. You know, and he says, well, I've got a job. And so uh, anyway, long story short, Dan put me through a couple of tests and hired me, and had me vacuuming that weight room every day and <laughs> those athletes and you know. I had the cheerleading team as my team, and then I helped with football and basketball and helped with all the other sports, and I had a couple other sports. And so anyway, we, we wanted to go back east. Yeah. And so Stephen Pliss called me up. He says, hey, I'm at James Madison University. Just got hired here as the head strength coach. This place is awesome. You ought to see it. Didn't know anything about JMU. It was a small school back then, you know, and just getting up and coming. And uh, he says, I want you to be my assistant. He says, you know, full-time job coming. You know, you can continue and finish your master's degree because I'd already started my master's degree out there at the University of Pacific. And so anyway, came to, came to JMU. And tell me if I'm talking too much, Donovan. No, no, keep going. I don't want came to, to JMU in um, 90, uh, 92, actually. Came to JMU in 92, August of 92. I was Steve's assistant. We had 28 sports at the time, 28 teams we worked with out of that one weight room that you used to come into yeah. class. Um, and we had a, a basically a closet up at the condo for basketball. It's where the equipment room was meant to be. And the equipment room is now. So it was a, a room with low ceilings. The tall guys couldn't do any overhead lifting. Um, but anyway, Steve and I covered all 28 teams, football included, basketball, all those teams that, you know, you have to travel with sometimes. Um, I continued on and, and finished my master's degree and got involved with the kinesiology program there. I was teaching some racquetball classes and some tennis classes also. And when I look back on it and I talk to these young kids now, these young kids coming into strength and conditioning, and they talk about, well, I, I don't know if I could work with three teams. I'm like, dude. You know, I worked with 28, <laughs> and I was in school every night getting my, as a full-time graduate student, and, and working on writing a thesis, and I was teaching class. And I said, and, uh, and I was married. And I said, and there was no lunch break. There was no lifting break. You just came, and you humped it till you just drug your butt back into bed at night. You know, it was it was involved, but it was fun, man. It was it was a great time. We loved it. Um, so these young strength coaches now they get spoiled young. I mean, they come in and they got one two teams, and they think they're they think they're working hard. But anyway, so actually, I want to so kind of play off that a little bit. Is so what what would you say like over your career? The you're kind of saying it right now, but what are some of the evolutions you've seen over the strength and conditioning field over the last thirty years? Um, just more specialization, larger staffs. Yeah. Well, I'll kind of take you through the transition that happened at JMU and how it grew. Um, 
and now to finishing off that last question about the interns. So, you know, when I came in there, we had that much to do. Yeah. Two guys. We had two. He and Jeez. I, that was it. And uh, I thought, we've got a Kinesis program here. But they knew nothing about strength and conditioning. I mean, they were yeah. totally aerobic. I mean, and uh, we, my uh, professor, uh, Dr. Dalton, you, you probably never met her. Uh, I think she had retired before you guys came through, but um, great lady. She taught a strength and conditioning class and she taught it from one of the most interesting angles I'd ever been involved with. It was, it was almost frustrating, but it was encouraged. It was, it made you think. Um, she wanted us to rebuild the human body all the time, you know, think from a different, you know, totally different angle. But anyway, uh, as I'm finishing my master's degree, and uh, I did a thesis back then. You, if you did a thesis, you still had to do the the total testing and everything, you know. Um, so anyway, after that, you know, they said, "Hey, you know, you know more about this stuff than we do. Why don't you teach a class?" Uh, because I got promoted to the head strength and conditioning position at that point. Because Steve yeah. left. Steve left to go to the Olympic Training Center to be the head strength coach out there in Colorado Springs. And they promoted me up to the head guy. And so I hired my assistant. But anyway, I said, okay, I'll teach it. I'll teach it one semester. Teach it in the, I'll teach it in the spring. I said, I can't do it in the fall because of football, but I'll teach it in the spring one night a week. I'll do it on Monday nights after all the athletes are done. I, we can use this facility. Jonathan, that thing turned into like a hundred people signing up for it. And I'm like, Hey, I didn't sign up for this. I can't handle this thing. because I wanted it to be involved. I wanted it to be hands-on. I didn't want to try to teach you out of a book, how to do physical. Yeah. It's a physical, you know, discipline. You have to do it. You have to physically get in there and get sweaty and get involved with it to learn it. Um, so they said, okay, well, we'll drop the numbers down. <laughs> I said, there's no way. I said, let's drop it down. So we dropped it down to like 50. And I said, that's still too many. Because back then, they wouldn't let me hire my assistant. It was just me teaching that class after a long day work. So then, uh, then we said, okay, let's transition. I'll teach it both semesters. How's that? We'll, we'll break it up. So they said, okay, which I needed that extra money anyway. And then eventually, you know, that became the meeting ground for that intern program. Yeah, yeah, I gotcha. Kids took the class and they showed they were really interested in it. We would steer them towards our intern program to say with guys like yourself that were like, hey, they liked the class, they were interested in the class, interested and wanted to learn more. I said, come on in. The only way to learn more is to get in there and get involved and get your hands dirty, you know, and see. So like so like take it for I'll, I'll kind of speak for myself in that class so i remember that class once a week and and i i, I wish i knew the, the guy's name um who 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 also did the assistant program with me but i remember how we you would break down each group we almost be in the classroom and then we would work we would work our way in the classroom into the gym and and we would go through the uh, the cues and the, the protocol for you know if you're doing a romanian deadlift or if you're doing a squat or if you're doing a deadlift if you're doing what whatever the how your sequences was yeah. and i've used that kind of a blueprint of what you did in that class to whenever we hire trainers and stuff and they they are 
they're new and they're kind of fresh is take, I make sure, even though they might have a certification, I almost take them through the same process where they go uh, five to eight weeks with me, uh, like a couple, of, a couple of times a week for 45 minutes to an hour. I would go through the anatomy, the, what, what we're working, what, what it's doing, and break down the cues and the progressions of like when you would use it. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. I'm glad you're using that. Um, yeah, I mean, you have to. You have to. You can't just, you can't just have somebody, and especially in your profession, I've consulted with groups kind of like you have where they've asked me to come in and consult and, you know, maybe help them with their um, hiring processes. Yeah. And I said, you can't just trust that certificate, that certification, because yeah. there's a lot of bad certifications out there. Number one, you got, you got to identify the key ones you're going to allow, you know, and they're legitimate. But then some people can get through tests, you know, with a 70% and the same certificate as the person that made 95%. There's a difference. That's how doctors, you know, or any profession, you know, there's, there's the ones that got through with C's and there's the ones that really know what they're doing and got through with A's or really studied. And, and, and it's not even that as much as it is the ones that can teach, the ones that can take it and assimilate it through what they learn and then take it and apply it. You know, you've got to oh. be able to apply it because I see that's one thing, you know, you were asking about things that I've seen through the years, you know, I've seen a lot of kids like at JMU there, later on as I was applying or uh, uh, had jobs open and people were applying to them, I'd get hundreds and hundreds of resumes, like within days. Like I'd, I'd advertise a job as a, for an assistant position and then three days later, I'd have 125 resumes sitting on my desk. Wow. And, you know, at the end of the process, I'd have 200 and out of those 200 resumes, a hundred and, you know, 150 of them may all have the master's degrees, wow. you know, and I might have a handful that have doctorates. I had people that were chiropractors that were trying to change profession, well, you know, different things like that. Uh, so how do you break that down to who's really the best, you know, who, who you're going to hire, you know, it's a, it's a tough thing to do. So, you know, you have to look at everybody's, you have to evaluate everybody but then you have to speak to them and ask them those questions to say, yeah. how would you teach me this? And how does this, you know, how do you get to this result here starting down here? What's the yeah. process? You can't just jump up there. There's a process. There's a stair step you have to follow to get there. And if you try to rush it, you're going to hurt somebody. If you rush it, you, you know, something's going to break down in the, on the process. So, um, you know, that would slowly start, yeah, evaluating people and eliminating people. And then you may be able to ask them, okay, produce a video. Produce a video later on, you know, as people start having cameras in their pockets. Yes. Make a video. Show me how you would do it and teach me the progression. You know, teach me everything important about doing a bench press. What are all the things that I need to watch out for? If I've never done it before in my life, what are the things you need to teach me? to help me become proficient at that so I can get the most out of it. Yeah. And then you'd start evaluating off of that. You know, if they can't teach you on the video, then they're going to have a hard time in person. Totally. Because you can edit a video. 
<laughs> you can't edit in person. So kind of looking now, what is like when it comes to, I know programming is such a like a, a giant uh, entity. There's so much science, there's a lot of art to how you program, how the team's uh, progression over several years are, are over a year. What, what's got you excited now or a style of programming that you're kind of into right now in terms of setting up teams, uh, you know, progression over a year? The art part is the fun part. You know, the, the X's and O's, the science part, you learn that early on and you know why you do certain exercises, how they affect, you know, different muscles, different joints. That doesn't change. The human body hasn't changed. You know, it's the same yeah. today as it was a thousand years ago. Still an elbow's an elbow and knee's a knee, you know, and the bicep attaches and, you know, the hamstring attached the same way. Nothing's changed there. Um, the things that have changed is communication, styles of communication. Back early on, you could just yell at everybody. And everybody yeah. would say, hey, you can't just yell at everybody nowadays. You know, you got to learn how to communicate. And that's something I learned early on is that you've got to be able to speak a lot of different languages. You know, so I may be speaking football language uh, for three hours straight. And then, and then like that cross-country team I mentioned, they've come rolling in. Well, football loves the weight room. Football loves strength training. Yeah. They come in the door, he screaming, wanting to put weights on the bar. That little cross-country team, that's the most uncomfortable part of their day is coming in that weight room. Yeah. If you speak to them with football language, they're going right out the door crying. <laughs> so you got to turn it real quick and learn how to speak cross country. Yeah. You learn how to speak with a kind, caring voice to say, without saying it in so many words, I know you're uncomfortable right now. Just walking yeah. in that door was very uncomfortable for you. Just like if I, if they took me out to their course and said, now you go run, that would be very <laughs> uncomfortable for me to run a cross country, you know, race like they do. Uh, so I had to learn, you know, you've got to learn to speak a lot of languages. There's a lot of psychology involved in this. Um, and the more you learn to change your tone and change your uh, communication to speak those languages, the more success you're going to have as a strength and conditioning coach. Because I've seen a lot of guys come into the field, uh, guys and girls, more guys, thinking, oh, this is who I am. I'm just going to yell at everybody, you know. Yeah. And that's okay for maybe one or two teams, but then you lose everybody else, and then where are they going? They're going up to the athletic directors saying, that guy's an a-hole down there. He, he's just he's just ballistic. He's scaring my kids away. Yeah. And back then when you had to train all those teams, you had to help everybody. You know, you couldn't isolate and say, okay, I'm just a football guy. You had to say, okay, I'm going to help field hockey. We're going to win a national championship in field hockey, and we're going to be good in lacrosse, and we're going to be good in soccer, and we're going to be, and I got to speak lacrosse, and I got to speak soccer, and I got to speak this and that, and I got to speak male uh, soccer, and I got to speak female soccer, and I got to learn to speak all these different, different little nuances on these languages. And the more, uh, and that's when I would tell young strength coaches back then that would come in with all this. X's and O's, you know, program design knowledge, and that's all they wanted to do was sit there at the computer and design programs. Said, you got that part down pat, man. It's time to move away from it, you know? Yeah. Um, you go to, you know, any good 
mechanic and you know he's learned how to deal with that engine he doesn't have to go back into the manual every week you know he's got to learn to deal with the customers if he wants his business to grow totally. so you got to start with customer you know uh dealing with people you got to become a people person so i'd say you need to start studying great coaches coaches that have done well you know john yeah. Putin and you know coach k and these guys that have really done well uh and learn why they did why they had success, why they had longevity, and then start studying great leaders, great business leaders, great team leaders, because you're a leader. You have a position as a leader. Oh, yeah. And as soon as you think you're not a leader, they'll run right over you. You got to learn to talk to people and lead them. Um, because that's where the term coach comes from. Do you know the etymology of coach? I don't. But, uh... Yeah, the yeah. word coach uh, is a Hungarian word. Kocsis was a town in Hungary where they built the basically stagecoach, a coach. Gotcha. And, and a coach is designed to take you from where you are to where you want to go, where you are currently to where you want to be down the road. Yeah. And so many years after that, and I think it was in England, they started using it. It started becoming a term they would use in academics as a tutor. And then it started becoming a term back in the 1800s for somebody that taught athletes because you're trying to take them from where they are to where they want to be, to where they, they, they can be, where they need to be to be successful. And that's what a coach is. That's what a trainer is. Somebody that's, they're coming to you saying, hey, I'm a, I'm a little bit heavy. And here's the picture. I want to look like this guy in the underwear ad. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, my wife just bought me these jockey underwear, and look at this guy. I want to look like this guy, you know. Yeah. But look, I, I ain't quite there. What can you do? Well, that's when you become the coach to say, jump on board. We're going to go slow, but we're going to take you on that ride, and we're going to eventually get there. Uh, I love that. You're going to get to that place. Um, a couple it's, it's kind of stories. Well, one of the things was, I remember when I was there uh, JMU, and I only saw this like once or twice, and you pulled out this binder mm -hmm. of, of like, it looked like Russian. I don't know what oh, yeah. it was. Soviet, you, yeah. Yeah, and so it had all these documents of exercises and, and different, what, what was that? Well, early on in the strength, competitive strength world of weightlifting, the Russians were the best. The Bulgarians yeah. and the Russians were the strongest, the most explosive athletes out there. And they were winning a lot of gold medals in a lot of sports. Um, so who was my assistant when you were there? I'm trying to remember. I think it was Greg. I don't know his last name. Was it Greg? Um, or Matt? Matt, or? Matt. 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 It was Matt. Was it Matt Green? Yes. Big Matt. Yeah. Yeah, big Matt. Yeah, big guy. Yeah. Big Matt does what you basically started his own business just like you um, and had a, had a really successful one. But anyway, uh, well, when I took over as the head strength coach at JMU, the first assistant I hired name was Freddie Hatfield. His father was Dr. Squat Fred Hatfield. Okay. Well, I'll take you even further back. Steve Plisk, who I worked for at Austin P and then at JMU, he was the head guy at both those places. I was his assistant. Steve is and was a voracious reader of the literature. Yeah. I mean, just everything 
in the world that had been published, anything in the world that had been published on anything to do with strength and conditioning, Steve had it or was getting it. I remember going up to the library. This this was before the computers, you know, uh, yeah. stuff on the computer. So everything that he would want, he would have to go through interlibrary loan. And I was the, the running dog to go get it. Hey, gee, go up and get that article. It just came in, you know, from, you know, the guy over in Scandinavia or the guy in Russia. So I remember one day I go up there to pick up the article and the lady, the librarian says, who is this guy, Stephen Plisk? I said, he's the head strength coach. He's, he's my boss. She said, he gets more interlibrary loan than anybody on this campus, more than any professor. This guy reads more than anybody. I said, I know. I said, it's amazing. I said, he studies everything. And I said, after he finishes it, I get it. And sometimes I pull it out of the trash because he'll think, oh, gee, doesn't want to read this. And I'll be like at the end of the night, like, what's in the trash? Okay, I'm going to read that. I'll take it home and read it. <laughs> he's reading it. I need to be reading it. Um, so there was a lot of Russian, Scandinavian stuff that he was getting that I was reading, and I would just put it in binders. You know, yeah. he would already. I thought, man, this is the, this is a great benefit. He's a little smarter than me, so he's already highlighted all the good stuff. <laughs> Take it out of the trash and look at all the stuff he's highlighted. I can get my cliff notes right here. Um, so anyway, I would read all the stuff Steve would recommend and read and give me secondhand. Uh, and then I got involved in grad school, taking that even further, doing a, uh, doing a thesis for my master's, having to do a literature review and all that stuff, going into the literature because I was doing some studies. I, I did a study that was applicable to, to athletic training, strength and conditioning. Then I hired my first assistant when I took over. I hired Fred Hatfield's son, Freddie, whose father had been to Russia and studied with the Russian. And so I got to talk to... Dr. Squat, Fred Hatfield, about that experience and getting more yeah. information from him and articles and things. And so that, that binder just grew and that uh, that bookshelf just got, you know, more full as the years went on. And, um, you know, you talked about this too, how involving as coaching, you also you, you get involved to really transform an athlete's body or a person's body. Nutrition becomes uh, a huge a huge piece in into doing that and um, during either the class that I took from you where I got I feel like you know a lot of my knowledge um, you mentioned a, a football player who was a big guy who needed to lose some weight and yeah. uh, do you remember that story oh yeah I know where you're going with that one um, yeah, I'm not going to mention his name, but yeah, uh, that, that was very interesting. He was over, over fat. He needed to have weight. He was a lineman, so he wasn't overweight. We wanted him at the weight he was at, but he was just carrying way too much body fat. So we needed to transition, build muscle, and lose some of that body fat because he was just, you know, way too fat. So we brought him in. He was a good old country boy, you know, grew up in the country, beating grandma's cooking and uh we said okay let's talk about your diet how do you eat you know oh i like to eat you know a lot of bacon and eggs and sausage and gravy and for breakfast and well we got to cut back on that let's eat some more fruit let's uh let's get all that gravy off of there and let's i don't eat so much bacon and and let's let's maybe cut those eggs in half half egg whites half egg you know whole eggs 
Okay, so he tried that. How about them sweet rolls? No, we can't. We got to get the sweet rolls out. Maybe add a couple of eggs if you need to add more, you know, just no more sweet rolls. He says, okay, well, at dinner time, what do you eat, you know? And he says, like, well, I like fried chicken. I love fried chicken. He says, I know how to do it myself. I can fry it up. I said, we got to get that fried chicken out of your diet. He said, we're going to have to have you broil your chicken. I said, do you have a broiling pan? He says, uh, he went home and he came back. He says, yeah, I got one. It's in my oven. And that was one of those pans, you know, where the drippings drop down and the chicken stays up on top. Yeah. Okay. You're going to put your chicken breasts in there. You're going to put them in the oven at this temperature and you're going to, you're going to broil them. You're going to bake them. And uh, he says, uh, do I have to take the skin off? I love that skin. And I'm like, yeah, you can't eat skin anymore. And so he cooked it without the skin. He came back in the next day and he says, that stuff's so dry, I can't eat it. I said, well, leave the skin on, but after you cook it, you got to pull it off. You can't eat the skin. Yeah. Just throw it in the trash. You got a dog. Dogs love it. But you can't eat the skin. Anymore. So that's nothing but fat. Yeah. So just eat the white meat and then eat your vegetables, blah, blah, blah. So anyways, we thought we had that one all figured out. A couple weeks later, his weight's going up. His body fat, you know, I'm doing skin folds on him. His body fat isn't moving. And I'm like, man, are you doing what we told you to do with the chicken? And, you know, and he says, yeah. And I said, you're taking the chicken skin off? You're not eating the chicken skin? He says, no, I don't eat that. I said, uh, he says, well, what about if I, uh, he says, is it okay if I, you know, at the bottom of that pan, all that juice, if I just take the bread and dip that juice and eat it? I said, no, you can't eat that juice. That's nothing but drizzle. That's fat. He says, oh, I've been doing that. He says, that stuff is good. <laughs> He's been taking white bread, eating that chicken breast, throwing the skin away. But basically all that happens is that skin basically melts and goes down in the bottom of the pan. That's all that chicken fat. Yeah. And he'd been sopping it up with bread and eating it. And I was like, oh, my goodness, boy. He grew up in the country, you know, where they just eat, eat it all. He was a good old country boy. And uh, so we had to get him off of that. That was an interesting uh, interesting one. But, yeah, we eventually got him down. He was, yeah. uh, he was quick. He was a defensive lineman, and he could attack you. But, yeah, we got some of that extra body fat off of him. Because I had to be, back then, man, you had to be the strength coach. You had to be the sports psychologist because there were no sports psychologists. So I was yeah. studying psychology. I was studying, you know, Dennis Waitley and all these great sports psychologists back in the day and learning all I could to, you know, try to be this this guy, this psychologist, shade tree mechanic kind of guy. Uh, had to be the dietitian because there was nobody. You know, the coaches said, well, yeah. what should they be eating? Tell them, you know, what supplements should they be taking? Tell them, you know. So you did all of that. Now, you know, looking like where I'm at now, we have a full-time dietetic staff. Wow. We have a full-time dietitian, sports dietitian that works with our team. And she does the bod pods and she checks her body comp for us. And she counsels with them, takes them to the grocery store and teaches them, takes them to the uh, classroom that they have and teaches them how to cook, does all that. We have a full-time staff of school psychologists. I think we have four here now. Uh, so the girls need that. They've got that. We've got doctors. Uh, we've got physical therapists. We've got osteopaths. We've got chiropractors. We've got 
exercise physiologist. So now my job has become down this funnel now to where it used to be I was the whole funnel. Now I'm coming down the funnel as one part now to where, you know, I still, because I was so involved in all that, I still kind of have a little touch in it, but not like I used to where I was the yeah. go-to. Uh, I try to help out in those areas, but now I'm focused on performance, you know, strength and conditioning and performance from that standpoint. Is there any, like, um, any research that you've kind of come apart that has got you excited about the future? Um, well, you were asking about uh, programming and program design, stuff that excites me and the research into that, you know, is, is interesting. Uh, I like to use something called auto-regulatory uh, resistance training, aggressive resistance training. And um, I studied that uh, from a gentleman out of Germany, Buckholz, uh, Dietmer Buckholz, years ago, he wrote a book. And I can't think of the name of the book right now. It's something like the greatest sports book ever or the greatest training, the greatest athlete ever. I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, Donovan. But, but anyway, it was the hardest read I've ever gone through. Yeah. But it was brilliant. And I was like, I'd read a chapter and I'd be like, I know there was some really good stuff in there, but I don't know that I quite understood it. So I'd go back and reread it yeah. and take more notes and highlight different things because his language was different than the language we grew up with. You know, the way he used the word plyometric was different. The way he used the word, you know, uh, impulse or power or, you know, strength, yeah. those were different. And so I had to really learn the language. I had to read it and learn the language, then reread it and read it again. And then I started applying it to my own training and then my son's training and then some of the athletes training. And then I started seeing, Hey, this stuff really works. Um, and it's, uh, it's a more efficient way I think to train rather than the old, uh, periodization. You yeah. know, we started off years ago, Tudor Bumpel's books on periodization and, uh, Dr. Stone, uh, Mike Stone, and Dr. Uh, there's several of them that, that were involved with that um, early on and wrote the books on periodization. And the NSCA was based on that, a lot of that linear periodization. Yeah. You know, we start with higher volume, lower intensity, and then we would transition. You know, we would decrease the volume and increase the intensity, basically, very linear. Uh, which works out well for an individual athlete, like a track and field athlete, a weightlifter, which, like I said earlier, is where a lot of that early research came from. Yeah. But you start dealing with team sport athletes that have multiple competitions and some even multiple competitions within a week. Yeah. And it's not linear. It's, you know, that thing is moving all over the place. So then we went into what's called nonlinear periodization, taking that linear model and now breaking it up into smaller chunks and, you know, hitting those peaks at different times. And that worked out well. And then I went into, like I said, studying this uh, auto-regulatory. Excuse me. And I knew that was something I had done myself and had good success with and not knowing that's what it was called. Yeah. We just said, hey, this is kind of read your own body, how it regulates. It's automatic. You know, it'll tell you when it's ready for more. And uh, do you know much about the auto-regulatory training? I, I, I don't. And I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm going to be looking it up once. Uh... Well, auto-regulatory, 
um, we're like linear periodization. You're 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 having uh, um, microcycles, mesocycles, and macrocycles, and you're basically laying things out long term, and you're trying to stick with it linearly over time. Yeah. And we found there's just too many variables that change where that's almost impossible. Like I said, with a maybe a thrower or a weightlifter, you can do that because they're training for one competition for oh. one output. You know, a thrower, a shot putter, they might do three to five shot puts in a day. Yeah. At a competition, you know, warming up and then bring it in the meet. And that's what you're training them to peak for. You know, a Is weightlifter, it? you know. They're doing a clean and jerk and a snatch, you know, and they're doing three of those. Yeah. So, but a basketball player, they're running for 40 minutes and jumping and cutting and everything else. And, and then they're doing it again three days later. And they're doing that over a course of the season. And it's just, oh, it's just a whole different thing. You, it's hard to do that linear model throughout that career or throughout yeah. that, that season. So, um, with this auto-regulatory, what it does is, okay, you say, okay, Donovan, we're doing, let's just say, and it has periodization built into it. So maybe we'll start at a higher volume, do it yeah. set to 10, and then we'll transition over time down to sets of three. Yeah. Uh, so we're dropping the volume and we're increasing the intensity. But how does it happen within the workout itself, you know? How do, how do you know, okay, if we're doing three sets of 10, how do you know that was enough? Maybe yeah. you're a phenomenal, you know, recovery athlete. You've got great genetics. And maybe to get to the stimulus you need to have optimal, you know, results, you might have needed a fourth set or a fifth set. But maybe you're not. Maybe you're that guy that doesn't eat right, doesn't sleep right. And maybe after the second set, third set was detrimental. You, you know, that's the one that made you play bad two days later. Yeah. So with auto-regulatory, it lets the athlete's performance show us, okay? In that third set, were you able to get, if we were doing sixes, were you able to get six? And if you did, was it easy? If it was easy, we're going to do another set. If, it, if you didn't get six, that means we had you too high. We're shutting yeah. you down. We're not doing another set. Gotcha, yeah. You know, so we regulate it off of the performance each day. That's interesting. That, that's that's kind of in a way what my training is because I'm working with people who have day jobs or they're semi-retired or yeah. and my goal for a lot of them unless I'm there's a couple of athletes I'm working with that are um, uh, college level athletes but for the most part most of the people I'm working with are people who are just trying to move feel better look better and so a lot of it is based off one of the first questions I ask him, how are you feeling today? Mm -hmm. and, and that kind of helps dictate, you know, the intensity of our, do I have to warm them up or do I have to rep them up to, to the weight to do a longer warm up? Or if they're ready to go, then, then we can, I know we can go for a strong one and seeing how they're, they're moving. Um, I want to go into some lightning round questions. And then if you have any questions for me, um, so these questions that you can, you don't have to, they don't have to be short, but um, whatever comes to your, your, your head, I want you to give me your, your, your answer here. Ready. All right. All right. Uh, favorite piece of equipment? Oh, man. A barbell. <laughs> Love it. Uh, a favorite assessment test? 
Well, it depends on what I'm assessing. If I'm assessing endurance, conditioning, um, I still like a good mile run. Yeah. Just to test endurance and toughness. You know, if, if you can push hard into that third and fourth lap. Yeah. That just shows me, you know, hey, this, this person, this athlete, they're going to be great. Yeah. Because I can tell you with 100% surety, I've been doing this for 30 years, and every time I do that mile run, even with sports where people are going to say, well, why does he do a mile run with the basketball team? Here's the reason why. Because I can tell you the kids that are successful on that court are the same ones that are going to show you that they can push hard in that mile run because they got toughness late in the game. They got toughness. They're not going to let it beat them. They're going to beat it. They take, they yeah. take it on and with that mindset that this is a, this is a challenge and I'm going to beat it. You know, yeah. where you'll see the kids that maybe get into it and say, well, uh, you know, that's tough. Well, they probably, they usually don't end up being very good. Yeah. But when practice gets tough, that's the same thing they do. So, but you can use that in a team setting to help those that do succeed early to help them put the pressure on the other ones. The next thing you know, those are the kids that are coming back to you at the end of the year saying, I never thought I could do that, but we did it. That's and I cool. said, well, because your teammates helped you because I encouraged you and they helped you. You did some things that you never thought you could do. That's cool. Um, favorite food. Rice. I love rice. <laughs> I'll probably say that because I had two big bowls of rice for breakfast this morning. My wife makes me something called favorite rice. And it's, uh, and uh, I'm, I'm a, probably about 99% vegetarian. Yeah. My wife is vegan. My son has been a vegetarian his whole life. He's never had a piece of meat in his whole life. So my home is vegetarian. Yeah. So, and, and I'm, I'm okay with that. I love it. And when, when I was at JMU, I was a vegetarian. I had a, I grew up eating meat. I grew up eating bacon and eggs and all that for breakfast and pork chops yeah. for dinner and all that. So my mom's always confused when I go home and I don't eat meat anymore. But anyway, rice this morning, I had the favorite rice. It's uh, and today she used uh, jasmine rice, which I like. We got a rice. Yeah. Uh, and it's scrambled eggs. I eat eggs. I'm a lacto ovo vegetarian scrambled eggs. And this veggie sausage she used this morning, these sausage links that are vegetarian. Yeah. Oh, man. And you put a little bit of this stuff called Bragg's Aminos on there. Yeah. Liquid Aminos. It's kind of like a soy sauce, but it has a better taste than soy sauce. It's not as salty. Oh, I had one bowl, and I, and I, and I do uh, the uh, time-restricted eating, so I don't eat until like 11 o'clock. Yeah. I get up and I drink my coffee black. And I'll usually work out in the morning or go do something with the dog. Um, and then I'll eat around 11. And so I had that bowl this morning at 11. And my wife walked out of the room and I thought, I'm going to have another bowl. <laughs> <laughs> and so I had two bowls. And I'll tell you what, that rice, and I just drank some water with it because I'd already had my coffee. Yeah. And by 12 o'clock, I told my wife, I said, I feel like I just, you know, overate today. Yeah. That rice swells when you put that water in there with it. Like, yeah. oh my goodness, I had a little rice baby going on. Yeah. So, yeah, rice. I love rice. It's so functional. You can do so many things with it. All right. What's uh, your favorite cue or, uh, you know, kind of uh, thing you're giving 
Like if it's like shoulders back or what's your favorite cue to kind of remind people on that? Great job. That was excellent. There you go. I love, love that. If love you it. look for excellent first, so like I learned this early on. I read in a book called The Attitude of Gratitude. And if you give gratitude first, if you start with gratitude. So I would watch guys do maybe let's talk about a power clean. Yeah. And maybe they were bending their elbows too early, but yet they were snapping their hips and they were shrugging and they were catching really good with those elbows. So instead of me yelling, you know, hey, Johnny bent your elbows, you know, screaming at him, I would wait till the end of that set and go over and say, man, your hips were coming through good. That's excellent. Your shrug was excellent. So now let's change the elbows. Start with the good first. Start with giving yeah. that honey first, you know, before you throw that vinegar in there. You know, give them a little bit of something sweet and say, man, that looked good, that looked good, that looked good, and I changed this. Yeah. If you go in there first and yelling, yeah, that sucked, change that, you know, they turn you off, you know, and sometimes that's the worst thing you can do. So great. Attitude and gratitude. Giving gratitude. Cueing up with gratitude. You know, love it. Love good, some, find something good to say to them first. Love that. Love that. Um, favorite music to work out to? Myself? Yeah. Because I learn all kinds of music training athletes because, you know, I, I, I uh, my son's got me hooked up on Spotify with the latest, greatest, you know, but I put a filter on it because yeah. I don't like that dirty language. Um, so I filter it to make it, if anybody walks yeah. into this weight room, somebody brings their little kid in, they're, they're going to be okay. But the kid's got that beat that they love, you know, uh, I like it all, man. You know, yeah. sometimes I'm in my, my garage and I'm playing 70s rock, 80s rock. Sometimes I'm in there playing, uh, uh, I just call it audiophile music. You know, it's just, yeah. and then, you know, really nice Yanni and stuff like that. You know, I'm listening to that kind of stuff. Sometimes I'm listening to country. It, it just depends. You know, yeah. I, love, I, just, I love music. I love all kinds of music. Yeah. Any, any uh, questions for me? Oh, I just, you know, I'm, I'm impressed by you. I, I'm, I'm very encouraged to see what you're doing out there as a JMU grad, you and Jackie, and growing your family and growing your business and seeing you transition from, I think the way I followed it, you transitioned from being employed to being the employer, you know? Yeah. And uh, that had to be a little bit scary for you, you know? I know, I know from being a business owner then stepping away and jumping in it and like, okay, I'm going to give it a shot, man, see how it goes. And, and for me, you know, I think if I would have done what you're doing, I probably would still be doing what you're doing. I was just asking if you had any questions for me, but I think, I think, oh, you know. yeah, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I've watched a couple of your, uh, your podcasts here. Um, with you talking to some of your trainers and the young lady, I can't think of her name, who's been working for you for a while. That was Tara, probably. Assistant. Yeah, Tara. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you, you've got good people. That's a, that's a key. Oh, my God, yeah. You can be a great trainer yourself. Yeah. And if you hire one bad person, man, it can take you down real quick. Totally. But I can tell she's legit. She's sincere. Because she smiled that whole talk. That whole interaction you had with her, she was just bubbling. Yeah. Her face was lit up. I was like, I would like her to train me. She is just full of, you know, energy and happiness. You know. What what's cool is uh 
and maybe if I, I might send you some of the videos, Jackie and her, they will train together, uh, you know, like three or four days a week. They'll work, they'll work out together and they'll yeah. push each other. And they'll got the music going and they'll go for 90 minutes to two hours and just. Oh, yeah. Just no, I've seen some videos of Jackie on the spinning bike. Yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's really, really cool. JMU. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. She's, she's doing, she's doing good, good. And, uh, yeah. um, but I'm going to wrap this up because, uh, she has to go to training for, she's a firefighter also. Oh, she's, wow. she's a volunteer firefighter. So she has training tonight. Um, uh, but, uh, well, I want to, are there any, uh, are there any, um, forest fires in that area? There's a, there's a decent amount, especially not, um, it's so fire season starts um, in June and it really ramps up in August and September. And then usually by, usually by the end of October is really when we have rain and we don't have rain. So yeah. we usually get rain starting in November through uh, May. And then from June on, we, if we if we get any rain, if we get a day or two, it's it's something. Oh, I remember when I was out there at the Pacific, out in Stockton, and it rained, and everybody was like, and I'm like, it's rain. What are you Why are you so excited? You know, they're like, it never rains here, and I'm like, well, okay, I'm used to it raining like every month in you know Tennessee or Virginia. Yeah, uh, but they were so oh, it's raining, it's raining. You know, like it was raining. You know silver dollars or something yeah so i remember that, when you were helping us out at jmu telling it must have been matt but i said uh, you were a little on the quiet side but you asked great questions and i could tell you were really like taking notes man you were really in there to learn and i said that guy's gonna do something because he smiles all the time so i know he loves it i mean he yeah. loves being involved with this he's smiling all the time yeah, said, and he's taking a lot of notes. Yeah, said, it's so he's gonna go do something. And I, it was, it was like, it was huge because the the thing that you've, I think the hard thing and the the good and bad thing about our industry is that there's a lot of people who don't know really know what they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> so the people who know what they're doing look like superstars because of it. Yeah. And uh, I think getting that education and continuing to learn and and take up you know new education really really helped and uh it's really allowed me to kind of create something special here so that's your facility you're in right now so right yeah this is our um this is one of our spaces this is our studio where we normally would do classes right now we're really just using it for like private pilates and um, some private sessions and then our gym is kind of right around the corner from here it's like a block away okay and that's attached to a, a resort Okay. So we kind of um, lease out that space, and this is kind of our secondary space. But you know, usually last year we a lot of people in here doing classes and things like that. But now we just kind of use it more. For, in the place uh, you were at before, Salage, is that right? Yes. Is that a resort? Is that that was a resort? That was a resort also. I thought, that, I thought, boy, I would look at those pictures and I say, man, Donovan's at a daggum resort over here having fun every day out in the swimming pool. <laughs> Yeah, it's, 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 uh, it was a cool, cool, cool place. And what was cool is being able to design the gym 
um, when I first moved out here before we opened and kind of put that program together. It was, uh, it was kind of good practice before I did my own thing. It was kind of using somebody else's money to kind of test it out, build, build out the gym that was kind of approachable and cool and new for people visiting or the members who live locally. And it, it, it became something that was pretty cool to, to see. And I was like, you know, I'm ready to recreate that for myself. Yeah, yeah. Well, that lady you trained that uh, has her own facility at her house, you did a video with her? Yes. That she works at Best Buy? She was part of the yeah. growth. Looks like she's got a nice place at home. She does. She's got we, a lot of energy. She has a lot of energy. Is, uh, she was an executive. Her, her dad was the founder of Best Buy. Okay. And, uh, but she worked. She was the oldest child, so she was expected to work, and she worked through the company, and you know, yeah. and uh, and so when she left Best Buy, it was kind of right in the beginning when I was training her, and uh, when I was ready to leave, she was coming to me at Salad, and I said, you know, I'm thinking about leaving, and I designed a couple of gyms, and then uh, and then we started talking about the idea. She had the space on the side of her house, and. and we did it and something I don't know if you can see in the video, but the roof was glass. Yeah. And uh, so you get sun. I, tell. I was thinking, I was thinking, boy, the weather must just be amazing there because all that equipment's gonna get wet. I didn't notice there was a, a glass roof. Okay. I thought maybe there was something she'd pull out, maybe like a awning. So yeah, what it is is like a pergola. And okay. so it has the flats, but then it's a it's a glass roof on top of it. Oh, and that's then and then this what's cool is like they have these like electronics shades that just kind of come down like almost like like wind sails in a way yeah. yeah and you can just hit a button and they can kind of come down and it can almost pretty much make the gym like a nice outdoor covered patio that you would see like in the east coast right, um, right. and it would kind of cover it up so when it rained the rain would affect the, the equipment and then this time of year you can just let it up and let it be open so you go to her house to train her in that facility? Exactly. So her and her husband, I train uh, both of them, and, and I've been training them for years. And her husband's one who's, he was powerlifting in Minnesota before he came out here. So he's always been working out where she really started to get into weights once we started. Um, and so, and she finally had kind of that space because she was kind of getting into that semi-retired. She was getting done with Best Buy. She she was, she has, she's competitive in nature. So she was able to take that energy from being an executive Best Buy and transferring it over to being working harder in the gym. Yeah, I could tell by that interview you did with her, she didn't like to sit around much. No, <laughs> she's, she's, no, she's, uh, she, she's probably pound for pound. She's 55 now, um, but she's pound for pound, probably my strongest client because she can, she's 125 and, the hex bar deadlift, she can do 240, 250, six to eight times. Good. You know, and uh, and does and does it? She probably could do more. You know, we usually don't. I usually don't max her out, um, but uh, she's strong. Good. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, thanks for uh, thanks for including me on this. I enjoyed our talk. Yeah, me too. And uh, uh, I'll uh, be in touch and I'll send you the, uh, the video once it's ready. Good deal. Tell Jackie hello. I will. Thanks. Yeah.